Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly honored to be together today, to worship together today. And so I pray that as we hear your words, we really hear them, that our hearts and our minds and our ears are open to listen to what you have called us to. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a confession to make to you. I have never really had a green thumb. Every single plant I have ever owned starts to slowly and then all at once make its complete and utter demise. When I was in middle school, I had a cactus. And I thought to myself, who in the world, you know, can't take care of a cactus? But lo and behold, after I think about a few months, the entire thing was shriveled up. And as I threw the remnants of this cactus into my trash can, I thought to myself, who does this? Who cannot keep the thing that needs no water, no attention, no sunlight, no nothing alive? I obviously couldn't. So I heard that succulents, including cactuses, are pretty pretty hardy. They don't need a lot of love, attention. This little guy here hasn't been watered in who knows how long now. <laughs> and so I thought, I can handle this. I can handle this again. Um, I much prefer cut flowers, because here's the thing about cut flowers. Regardless of who you are, they are going to die eventually. So when a cut flower dies, I don't feel very guilty, because I know that even Diane Johnson, who is our resident green thumb here, could not keep a bouquet of cut flowers alive much longer than I could. So I feel better about having those. But this little guy here um, was given to me as a gift by Nathan Long, and if you guys remember him, he came after the One Project in San Diego in February, and he came and worked with us for a while. And so he decided that my office needed some sprucing up and got me this plant. And I had a very strongly worded conversation with him that he was giving me a fake plant because he knew I couldn't keep it alive. And I still am not sure if this is fake or not because it has been seven months and this thing is still growing. The young adults actually came in and we had a very intensive conversation examining the plant, making sure we knew, is it real, is it fake? The world will never know. So swing by my office sometime if you wanna get in on this debate. But the thing is, as much as I do not have a green thumb, as much as I do not like growing things um, or keeping plants alive, and as much as I am not good at keeping plants alive, I have gotten myself involved in so many agricultural situations than I was really hoping for. This summer, Luke, Jonah, Josh, and Tommy interned at the One Life Internship right here at Boulder Church. And one of our projects was growing tomato plants. And I'm not sure if many of you remember this. They were right outside here by the office entrance up on the ledge. And we had about seven or eight growing tomato plants. It was super exciting. Thankfully, Diane was the one to spearhead that project. Um, so that these plants had a fighting chance um, against me. And so these plants grew in the beautiful Colorado sunshine that shines 300 days a year. I love it. I love it, I really do. I'm learning to love it. Um, they were watered almost every day by the interns and myself and Harper, who was our honorary intern. 
and they had the most wonderful admiration of all of our neighbors. We had friends and neighbors come by and just tell us how lively the church looked. Just by the change of a few tomato plants, we added some green and some life there. So Diane would even bring by a special food. I don't know if it had a special name or anything like that, but it sure did have a special smell. And it smelled horrible, and the interns would put this into the water that we would feed the plants. And somehow, regardless of how bad it smelled, the plants loved it, and they sprang up like crazy. And so you'll see a couple of photos um, of these tomato plants and of us watering them and even of some of the tomatoes that we got from them. There's Molly and Jackson, I think that's uh, Ben or William up there as well. They, were, they all climbed up there. We had to make sure there was a rule. You couldn't go past the plant towards the edge um, because it's up there a little bit. And so we'd water them. Um, I think there's also a photo of Harper with some of the tomatoes that we got. Yeah, so the fruits of our labor were successful. But it wasn't without its own frustrations. We had some plants that had too much sun, and we had some plants that had too little sun. The plant at the very end always got a little less water because by the time we got to it, the watering can was almost empty, and we got so excited about watering the rest of them. And some of them just didn't get as much love and attention um, as they probably deserved. Some of our tomatoes even suffered from bottom rot. I don't know if you guys know what this is, but it's where the bottom of the tomato just rots. So we had a lot of those. Um, and then also, to continue on with my adventures in growing plants and farming, um, a couple weeks ago, we took a bunch of families to Miller Farms for a family church outing. I mean, you'll see a couple photos of that as well. Um, but this was honestly my best experience with plants because at Miller Farms, um, it's pretty great. You get on a tractor and they drive you out to the fields and then you just pick what you want of the fruits and vegetables. You don't have to worry about tilling, weeding, caring for the plants, watering the plants. You just get to pick up what you want and it's kind of the dream. <laughs> Um, you would have been just in so much joy to see the faces that were beaming. Uh, Dina was picking up and filling her bag to the brim, just this joy shining from her face. We had, um, the kids had a whole bunch of competitions of who could find the biggest potato and who could find the carrot with the most arms. And that one of Jonah, he just pulled up this giant carrot with, you know, little pieces shooting off here and there. And so I think he won that one. And so we were all pretty excited about this. I was excited about this because there was no way that I could ruin any of the plants um, that were growing there. But the thing is, Miller Farms is kind of the exception to the rule. Farming isn't always the dream, right? How many of you guys have planted a garden or a farm or some kind of, even if it's just a little tiny plant you have in your office that you care for, show of hands. Oh, look, you guys are wonderful people. Um, I am not as wonderful, but if you read Daily Walk this week, um, you would hear, you would have read about a story about my family garden. Um, if you didn't read Daily Walk this week, shame on you. And I will give you until tomorrow at 5 a.m. to repent of your ways and to read it for this upcoming week. 
Um, just so you know, for daily walk, it is very simple. It is very simple, and I will not shame you and have a show of hands of who still doesn't know what it is. Um, daily Walk is a daily devotional that we write every single week. Japheth um, talked about it a little bit, and it's something that we um, share about to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds for the sermon that is going to be preached that week. So this past week, I wrote um, every single day, and it's something very simple. You can get it on our website boulder.church slash daily. I know it's very confusing. If you aren't signed up, you can get it by email, and that is daily at boulder.church. Again, really complex. You might want to write this stuff down. It's also in your worship guides. Um, and so it's something that we're really excited about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the developments that are happening with Daily Walk um, later on in this sermon. But for now, boulder.church slash daily. Just stash that in the back of your head right now. So in Daily Walk this week, um, I gave some insights into the immense struggle that we had at our family garden. And so my family moved from California, the city suburbs, to Auburn, Washington, and kind of the countryside. And my dad was one that he really wanted to fully embrace the country. So he decided we were going to have a garden. And so he went to work at this plot of land, and we ended up digging up huge rocks and boulders. And when I say we, I mean my dad did, and I helped with some of the little rocks. Um, but just crazy piles of rocks that we pulled out of this um, plot of land. And he fertilized it, he tilled it. It was just an immense blood, sweat, and tears kind of project. And it didn't just happen overnight that it was an incredible garden. It took years before plants could really flourish um, in this environment. So gardening, farming, plant whispering, whatever you want to call it, is difficult. It is frustrating. And Jesus knew this. He knew the struggles that people faced when planting their crops. He knew all the obstacles they had to overcome to be able to get some kind of food um, and some way to survive. Jesus knew this, and so when he told this parable, he was himself a little frustrated. And to explain his frustration, he uses an example that's, well, a little frustrating. Jesus had spent an incredible amount of his words and energy in chapter 12, and so in this chapter preceding the parable of the seed that, and the sower and the soil that Jackie has read to us, um, <clears throat> in chapter 12, Jesus is healing, he's prophesying, he's teaching, and he's speaking so very clearly and straightforwardly. And all of this is either answered with opposition or confusion. It's safe to say Jesus was a little frustrated. Even at the end of chapter 12, um, we find his mom and his brothers just still not getting it. So at the end of chapter 12, the text reads, while he was still speaking to the people. So mind you, he's speaking to the people. He's teaching about God. He's doing the will of his father. So while he's still speaking to the people, um, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him this, who is my mother and brothers? And stretching out his hands towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and my brother and my sisters. 
I want you all to take a minute to think this situation through in your head, okay? Just kind of put this scenario um, in your own life. How would this go down for you? Kids, I want you to imagine this. Okay? Your mom or your dad comes up to you, you're in like an intense game or you're in an intense kids show and they say, hey, I need to talk to you. And you turn to them and you say, who are my parents? This is right here. Who are you to talk to me right now? This wouldn't go over so well for you, would it? Not so sure. It wouldn't go over well in my household. Um, but in a sense, this is what Jesus does. In front of his mother and brothers, he points to a rough and rugged group of guys who have given up everything to follow him. And he says, what are you talking about? This is my family. Even Jesus' very own family isn't getting it, his mother and his brothers. He's on a roll here talking to the people. It says, while he's still speaking to the people... While he's still doing the will of his father, that's when his brothers and his mom asked to pull him out to speak with him. Some commentators will point out that Jesus' response is not to be negative towards his physical family, but is a true testament to the positive support that the disciples were in his life. We'll see further on in chapter 13 how much Jesus appreciates how much he leans on, and how much he relies on these disciples. Jesus says, look at these guys. They might not seem like a lot to you. They might seem a little rough around the edges. But to me, they're everything. They're doing the will of the Father with me. To me, they're my family. So I want you to grab your worship guides, and I know Mark has mentioned it, Japheth has mentioned it, and I just want to make sure now that I get to mention it, is that if you don't have a worship guide, just put your hand up. We'll make sure that you have it. It has great information about um, our upcoming business meeting, events that are happening, our kids connect groups downstairs, um, our adult connect groups. But where I want you to turn is to the first page, um, and there's a recalibrate questions section. And so I want you to look at this. Um, and the first question I want to ask you today is, who is your family? Your family might be your family. When I sent these questions into JFIT, he goes, well, what kind of question is that? Who's my family? Becky, Josh, Jonah. And that might be very well true. Your family might be your family, like Jesus said about the disciples. But your answer to this question might also change based off of the season of life that you're in. Earlier this week, I was chatting with one of my friends, Doug. We went to Union College together, and he was also a theology major. Um, we studied together. We had many classes together. And so we were chatting about ministry. He's now a pastor out in California. And I was just starting to reminisce on all the classes we took together. Greek, Hebrew, Old Testament survey, New Testament epistles, history of the Seventh-day Adventist church, history of the Christian church. And I was reminded that to survive those classes, you needed family. After we talked, I remembered um, a photo that a group of us had taken before class started one day. And so I posted it on his Facebook. And I just said, like, oh, it was so good to chat. It made me think of this moment. And so that's the photo right there. Um, you can tell how excited they all are. And I just want to say that that's my short little testament to coming to class caffeinated is important. Um, 
So now just to give you a little bit of a glimpse um, into how wonderfully witty and wonderful our professors are, I'm going to share a couple of the comments from this post. Um, Doug commented on the photo and he said, we murked that New Testament class like no one's business, squad. We'll get to that in a second. Um, to which one of our professors replied, Pastor, please translate your Greek. I don't understand this language. I roll emoji, which is very funny coming from him as well. He was our Greek and Hebrew prof professor. So I had to actually look up the definition of murked because I didn't know what it means. Just show of hands, does anyone know this? My one-lifers have not, oh, we have a couple of hands in the back. My one-lifers haven't taught me this word yet, so maybe it's something I can teach them, apparently. I had to Google it because I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting up here and saying a horribly crass word. Um, and so I did Google, and I also was trusting that my pastor friends um, were walking the straight and narrow on Facebook. That's very important. Um, so murked, the definition of murked is to badly defeat or kill. So we killed that class, like, yeah, good job. Um, I'm not sure really though if we murked that class or if that class murked us, but we, I am here today and he is a pastor in California today, so we did pass it. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to lie though, some classes were rougher than others. And to pass many of them, to go through theology together, you needed family. Um, and I'm aware that there are more things in life that are difficult, more difficult than just Hebrew class, although to me that's still up there in my top five. Um, but maybe today you're feeling a little bit murked by life in some way or another. Many of us have experienced loss of a loved one. Maybe we've experienced failure in school or at work this week. Maybe we've experienced a lot of rejection. Maybe right now we're struggling with some family conflict, miscarriage, financial stress, depression, anxiety, some sort of illness. Unfortunately, the list can go on and on. To get through many of these things that life throws at you, you need family. Jesus needed family. I myself am still reminded today how much I need family. And so this first question is in part a question, but it's also in part a challenge that we seek this out. The next three weeks, we're gonna be discussing what it means to grow strong. And growing strong means growing together. The title of the sermon today is Growing Whom? And I'd like to say that Growing whom, we're not just talking about you. It's all of us. Yes, individually, we need to grow strong, but together as a family as well. This means that the people sitting right next to you, that the people sitting on opposite ends of the church, that the people sitting in the balcony, that the people watching on live stream, they're your family. Every single person who walks through these doors every Saturday is your family. And we also know that we come in here with weights on our shoulders and we see people and we assume that they might not have the same weight as we do, but we all have a little bit of weight that we're carrying. And to get through that, we need family. At the producers meeting on Wednesday night, 
we discussed the amount of personnel it takes to run a smooth Saturday morning, and Japheth alluded to this as well. It's about 50 to 60 people every single Saturday, and it can be upwards of that, that come here, that show up early, that make coffee, that open the doors, that make sure the heat is working properly, that have prepared all week to teach, to guide through connect groups. The sacrifices that are made each week and every morning on Saturdays, preparing hearts for worship, preparing kids' material, preparing crafts and activities and thoughts and words to share. The list goes on and on. To grow strong services here at Boulder, within our live stream community, we can't just have one really strong person, right? We can't just have one person who has grown really strong taking care of the entire service. We have to grow strong together. To grow kids connect groups at Camp Sanitas really strong, I can't do it myself, I know that for a fact, but each and every leader that goes down there has shown me that when we grow strong together, we build something strong together. To grow a strong church, we can't just grow as individuals. We have to grow strong together. When I asked about the men's retreat um, that happened a few weeks ago, I was told immediately, you don't talk about Fight Club. This was Pastor Lai. Um, I was just assuming to get a, oh, it was good. <laughs> it was really nice. Um, but instead I got, um, I got that answer. Later on, I got an answer that it was good, and it was so good that the men have decided to meet every single month um, for what? Until Jesus comes, right? And they're even going to do a special dedication service in January. And so it's just really exciting because we're noted here that even the men know you can't just grow strong on your own. You have to grow strong together. You need to be able to answer this first recalibrate question with confidence, much like Jesus did when he said, these guys, yep, them, they're my family. They have my back. Jesus needed people who were behind him, who had his back, and who were a part of doing God's will with him. So many people didn't get it, or they didn't even try to get what Jesus was always trying to say to them. The disciples were more than just disciples. They were Jesus' family. So let's dive into chapter 13 together. And now that we're privy to some of that opposition that's been going on in chapter 12, the frustrations that Jesus is facing. So if you'd like to read along with me, I encourage you to grab a pew Bible. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13. And so this is page 907 in your pew Bibles. And we actually just ordered more, um, and they were able to give us a really quick shipment. We're getting more later on. And so I encourage you guys to open these Bibles up, to bend them a little bit, to mark in them, to write your thoughts in them, um, to take them home if you need a Bible, or to take them to a friend that might not have a Bible or who would like to have one. So if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 13 on page 907. I want you to note something um, as you find that or as you look it up on your iPad or on your phone. It's that at the very beginning it says, on that same day. Okay, so I want you to put that in your head. Jesus is struggling, trying to explain this to the people listening to him. He's trying to explain this to his very own family and they're still not getting it. So on the same day, on the same day when all of these frustrations are happening, have you guys ever had that to where 
a day has just given you so much to handle and you're just so frustrated. And then there's just one more thing, one more thing that happens and it's on that same day. So we already know Jesus is struggling. He's a little bit frustrated. Um, he's been trying to speak clearly and people are still not hearing it. So now notice what Jesus does. He goes down to the water and sits down in the boat and everyone else stands. And so in Jesus' time, this was the formal teacher-student relationship. So technically, I should be sitting, I could sit down right now, and I would expect you all to stand while I teach. Oh, <laughs> doesn't that sound like fun? I did chapel um, at Vista Ridge yesterday, and when I said this, I sat down, and I kind of just looked at all of them. And they all looked at me with really big eyes, like Shelby is right now really big eyes and kind of, do you expect us to stand up now? I said, you guys don't have to stand. <laughs> and they were really happy about that. But that's what Jesus does. He sits down and he sets himself up in the posture to teach, right? The people are ready. Jesus has been teaching all day. And so they're ready to hear more of what he has to say. But what he does is a little weird. He starts talking in parables. And commentators will point out that in the Greek, it really does insinuate to that Jesus was only talking to them in parables, which is kind of sassy of Jesus. He's like, all right, let's just, let's, I'm going to start telling some stories, some metaphors. The people weren't getting it when he was healing, when he was speaking clearly. So now he just starts telling them some stories and a story about frustration, a parable about frustration. I'm going to read this one more time. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and ate them all up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched, and they had no root and withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and when the thorns grew up, they choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. After this, the disciples came up to, the, came up to Jesus and he, they said, why are you speaking to them in parables? Um, you can kind of see a little bit of confusion with them, like, Jesus, what are you trying to say here? Why are you talking to them like this? Can't, you just, can't we just use our normal words like you were before? Um, this sometimes happens on the staff here at Boulder. Um, I won't name any names, I won't say any who this could be, I won't even insinuate, um, but there can be a lot of cultural differences in our jokes, yeah, that's all. So um, one of us on the pastoral staff, um, not going to name names, uh, loves to tell this joke about a rabbit and a hedgehog, oh I hear some of you have heard this joke, a rabbit, a hedgehog, and some kind of special car. Um, basically, the joke doesn't end well for the hedgehog. Um, I've heard this joke so many times, and every single time when this person gets to the punchline, I still don't get it. <laughs> and even after it's explained to me every single time, I forget it the next time, and it, I still don't think it's very funny. Um, <laughs> But what would I know, right? Because I'm Swiss German, and Swiss Germans apparently, um, Jfit tells me, don't have a sense of humor. Um, but if you would like to hear this joke, just come find um, one of us on the pastoral staff, um, that's not me, and you can hear that joke. <laughs> so it's almost like the disciples are saying like, really Jesus, this joke 
right now, it's not really the time. No one's really getting it. Like, they don't understand the hedgehog. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And Jesus puts them in their place. Um, The text continues to say, Jesus says to his disciples, to his family, he says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed, uh, you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, and they have, uh, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. Jesus is telling his disciples that these people just don't understand. It doesn't matter how he says it anymore. He quotes Isaiah 6 here that we just read, that prophecy is being fulfilled. Their ears can barely hear, they can't see, they don't understand, and their hearts have become dull. But this dullness didn't happen all at once, but rather over time, right? The original Greek text breaks it down to say um, and explain that their hearts grew dull or became dull. So this was a process. They weren't just dull to begin with. It's kind of like a really nice knife, right? Knives don't just come out of the package dull. They get dull over time when they aren't properly taken care of. So this past week, we had our producers meeting over at the Soapman's home. And somehow, whenever I go over to the Soapman's, I always get roped into cutting the tomatoes. And now don't feel too bad for me. Although this might seem like a lame gig, it's the best job ever. Because Stacy has this knife that she just uses for tomatoes. Can't be used for anything else. And it just slices through them just like butter. It's the best thing in the world. And so whenever I do that, I am excited to cut the tomatoes because I know my job will be perfect. There's no fear of this knife growing dull because Stacy takes such good care of it. She will not let anyone use it on any other kind of fruit or vegetable or anything else. And so I know it's safe to say that for years to come, I will be cutting tomatoes at the Soapman's home. But the thing is, these people's hearts have grown dull over time. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand the vision he's casting and the road that lies before him because they have allowed their hearts to grow dull. The soil Jesus described that didn't produce any plants is dull soil. Jesus continues on to explain to his disciples what he really meant by this parable. He says, hear it again. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown in rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but doesn't have root in himself, endures for a little while, 
But when tribulation comes, when persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Jesus breaks down the four different types of soil. All the same seed, all the same weather, all the same person sowing, the same everything. The variable here is the soil. When Jesus explains the soil to the disciples, he describes it as more than just a stuck variable. He gives the soil a choice. He personalizes it. When he's sharing with the disciples, he starts to personify the soil. The soil hears, the soil reacts. Although they aren't all positive reactions, each one still reacts. This is the same for us today. When we encounter Jesus's word, a lot of people claim that they don't react at all, right? But it's pointed here that there is no neutrality in these reactions. This idea of the soil can lead you kind of down a rabbit hole with the idea of predestination. It would be like if I split up the church and I All right, the balcony, you guys are the path. So the seed is getting snatched up from you. You have no choice. Those watching on live stream, the rocks. Sorry, guys. The two sides, you guys are the thorny sides. I'm sorry, Mark. (laughs) I see you looking at me. And the center right here, you guys are the good soil. None of you really had a choice, right? I just kind of decided. You're just the soil that you are. But personally, I can combat this idea of predestination here with Jesus' explanation of the parable. In the original parable, it seems unfair that these soils are just the soils and that what happens to them happens to them. It doesn't matter if, um, if all the soil gets seed. They just kind of get stuck with what kind of soil they are. They didn't get a fighting chance. I mean, how do you expect a footpath to grow a bunch of seeds and a bunch of plants? But when Jesus explains the soil, he personifies them. The soil can hear and the soil can respond. The first soil, the one on the path, hears, and because he doesn't understand it, it gets snatched away. The second soil, when he receives it with joy at first, has no root, so he withers away. The third soil, the cares of the world and money, choke it all up and there's no fruit. But the fourth soil, hears and understands and yields so much. The word understand here in the original text isn't just about information. It's paralleled with the Hebrew language of the Old Testament with the idea of the word meaning to acknowledge God's sovereignty. In his commentary on Matthew, Douglas Hare outlines, here understanding refers not to intellectual awareness but to a moral commitment involving one's inmost self. It's not rocket science for us to understand that the soil is people. Jesus says it pretty plainly. We have this contrast now of dull and vibrant soil, dull and vibrant hearts. So I wanna ask you our second recalibrate question. What has become dull in your life? This isn't something to take lightly or to ignore. 
The problem with figuring out what's dull in your life is hard because as we talked about earlier, it happens over a slow amount of time. It doesn't just happen overnight and sometimes we don't notice until it's almost too late. So a couple months ago, my best friend got married, which was super exciting. And among the most exciting part, which was getting to watch her marry the love of her life, was that all of us bridesmaids got to be together again, all of us good friends from college. And it was wild. It was more loud than anything. Um, but we realized how good it was to all be together again. And we had some really difficult conversations about how bad of friends we had been to each other and how dull we had let those relationships grow over time. We realized that it was distance, that we didn't make intentional efforts to reach out, um, and so we kind of made that recommitment to prioritize those relationships again. When dull, what dullness does to your life is the same thing that dullness does to a knife with your tomatoes. It smushes them. If you ever tried to cut a tomato with a really dull knife, it just kind of squishes the whole tomato. And that's the same thing that a dull heart will do to your life. It will kind of smush and ruin everything that's going on. Jesus tells a story of failure, of ears and hearts that have grown dull, and success of ears and hearts who seek to understand and follow him. So why did Matthew think this was so important to share? Even he wrote this down and recorded this after Jesus' death and resurrection. So today and the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to grow strong. And growing strong means growing together and growing vibrant. Growing dull is the opposite of growing in Jesus. So I'd like to paint a picture for you of what we've been working on and dreaming here at Boulder and with the leaders and churchers with leaders and churches around the world. Um, there's going to be a photo of a tree up here, and I don't expect you to see all the words in it, but I will explain it to you. Um, <clears throat> you might have seen this on Facebook. There's also some pages there um, that we'll be discussing through our business meeting. But each branch um, is a developmental stage of life, um, and it's broken down by ages. And so at the very bottom on the right, you'll see Live Wonder. And live Wonder is 0 to 3, Live Adventure 4 to 11, Live Purpose 12 to 17, Live Intention, you have 18 to 24, Live Creative 25 to 34, Live, or live Courage, you have 35 to 54, and Live Wise 55 plus. So each and every one of these is a unique branch describing the developmental changes that we are having in our life. And so this idea started when we began to look at Daily Walk and say, something's missing, right? Have you guys been looking at Daily Walk and think, man, I am just really missing something. I'm missing a way to connect this with my whole family. I'm missing a way to connect what this text means to my three-year-old or to my 12-year-old, or to my 8-year-old, or to my 17-year-old. And so what we've done now, and you'll see um, this past week, I've written out the Live Wonder, Live Adventure, and Live Purpose for Daily Walk. So go, go ahead and check that out. Last plug. Um, and so each and every one of these branches is unique. But the thing is, each and every branch is connected to the tree. Each and every branch is just as connected, just as valuable, just as full of living love. And the thing is here is that this tree doesn't exist on its own. 
This tree doesn't exist without having roots deep and wide in Jesus and in Jesus all. So for the past few months, we've been talking about daily walk and making it intergenerational. And so we started talking about those three age breakdowns for the kids. And when we started there, we just couldn't stop because every single season and phase of life is unique and exciting and has something new to offer us. So these branches, um, this, today I wanna talk to you a little bit about wonder, adventure, and purpose. Living wonder is this idea of being in awe and just amazed by everything around us and of who God is and what he's created. If you've ever been around a zero to three-year-old, their eyes light up at new colors, sounds, things, tastes. Like if you've ever given a kid candy for the first time, a new candy, oh, the amount of wonder there is incredible. Adventure, living an adventure and being excited about everything that's right around the corner, having an, an imagination that goes on for miles. And purpose, living in purpose and honing in on the skills and the talents and gifts that God has given us to make a difference for the world around us. I was explaining this tree, I had it drawn up on my whiteboard. Um, I was explaining this tree to Rashid. And as I was going through them, I think I only got up to purpose. And he stopped me and he goes, wait, 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 wait. He's like, this is so true. This is so true. And it was so funny to see his face light up. And I said, well, why is it true, Rashid? He said, I have never experienced so much adventure in my life as I have right now. Like, this has been the most adventurous time of my life. And it's just so wonderful how much he connected with that God was giving him this life of adventure to live. And that our lives are more full and more meaningful and more adventurous when we're connected and rooted in Jesus. So the question today is, growing whom? And the answer is that everyone should be a part of this growth. And growing takes, um, takes place in different phases of life, different shapes, different stages. And so that's kind of what that tree is, is to explain that um, and to show that each and every phase of our life is valuable. That living in wonder for a two-year-old and in their discipleship with Jesus is just as important as someone who is 35 and living courageously. Discipleship is for all ages. The key here is that we all grow in Jesus all. And when we grow in Jesus all, this compels us to live love. And it compels us to live our developmental stages in a way that's deeper than just our own developmental growth. Not just, oh, I'm in wonder, oh, I'm in adventure, but that Jesus takes you through a journey of wonder of who he is. He takes you through a journey of the adventure he has you on and he instills in you a purpose that is deeper than any purpose you could ever dream up for yourself. Every branch is just as important to the tree. And Jesus reminds us that he's the vine and we are just the branches. But every branch is just as connected to Jesus as the other. Every age, every phase of our life is just as connected to Jesus as another. So how do we grow and wonder and adventure and purpose in our kids and also in ourselves? Because if we're being honest, we might not all be very wondrous or adventurous or purposeful. We might be a tad dull in those areas ourselves. 
And honestly, working with the kids more, this has made me more aware of my own dullness. My own dullness in wonder, my own dullness in adventure, my own dullness in my own purpose. In this world, it's easy to lose our sense of wonder. We have experienced so much tragedy just within this past month, whether it's personal or worldwide. From natural disasters to man-made massacres to shootings close to home, we no longer prioritize wonder. Or maybe we never even were privileged enough to have wonder in the first place. Maybe the home environment we grew up in didn't have room for a kid to be a kid and experience a healthy Jesus all wonder. In this age, it's easy to lose a sense of adventure. Our adventure becomes so planned and so scheduled, only on vacation or days off. To be adventure, to live adventure, and to focus on the daily adventure that Jesus takes us on is unheard of to have an adventurous life of Jesus all. In our lives, it's easy to lose that sense of purpose. Maybe the major you chose or the job that you're working in doesn't fulfill you anymore. Maybe you're like me and you battle little insecurities all the time, not really feeling like there's anything that you're super good at, but that's missing out on a Jesus all way of living purpose. Sometimes we try our best and fail, just like Jesus tried his best and failed to explain to many people who had dull hearts. This parable is to remind us that Jesus can do incredible things with just a little bit of soil. He can do incredible things with a small group of disciples who chose to seek understanding who chose to be in his presence. And he can do incredible things with us. Good soil has lots of different elements in it. It has wonder, it has adventure, it has purpose. And today you might be feeling like you're playing spiritual catch up with the phases. And that's okay, because I feel that way too. But when I answer the first recalibrate question, I realize that I have some great family here to help me out. My last question for you today is, how are you challenging yourself to grow strong? What are some intentional ways that you live wonder, adventure, and purpose in your lives? Remember, to grow strong, we have to grow together. We can't teach our newborns or second graders or high school seniors how to live wonder, adventure, and purpose if we can't live them ourselves. Each phase builds on each other. So if you're 36, I don't want you jumping to the tree and saying you only have to live courage. I want you to remember that each and every one of these phases is important. So in your connect groups following the service, at your home, with your family, I want you to ask yourself this question. None of us are above or better than wonder, adventure, and purpose. It takes humility. Humility to be dirt. Humility to try again. Humility to experience wonder, adventure and purpose. Humility to realize you don't grow strong alone. Humility to put aside the me-some, Jesus-some mentality. Humility to put aside a live-love only when they're easy to love mentality. And humility to live love. Humility to really say and mean and seek and live Jesus all. Let's pray. Jesus, 
You have called us to courageous, to strong, to vibrant lives. And I pray that as we come to this place in the week where we might be feeling discouraged, that you remind us that this story is a story of success, that what you can do with a little is incredible. So God, we bring to you our hearts, although they might seem like they're just a little, although they might seem like we're feeling a little dull, God, I pray that you breathe new life into us, that you give us courage to grow strong, that you give us courage to follow you wholeheartedly. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.